The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Okay, church, let's take our Bibles and turn back to Romans chapter number 8. I want to uh, thank David Smith for helping to lead us in worship today. Brothers and sisters, over the next uh, week or so, you want to encourage him, uh, speak to him, and uh, wish him well. He'll be heading out in a couple of weeks, I believe, for nine months, going to um, multiple countries, sharing the gospel, and uh, being a part of the work of the Lord. And he's going to be helping to lead worship on that trip, so it's a good practice for him today. And We always need to be thankful for uh, the young men and the young women that the Lord gives us here at the church, that we can invest in their lives, that they would um, trust in the Gospel, as He said, and believe on Him and then grow to help others, whether that be through the preaching of the Word, the uh, corporate leading of worship, or whatever avenue of service. We want to be thankful for uh, those that God gives us. Romans chapter number 8. A little bit of a uh, different uh, sermon today. We're going to kind of close our time uh, in August. We've been speaking about our prayer lives. And so today we just want to maybe walk down. I'm going to do a little bit more teaching than preaching today. But uh, Romans 8, verse 18 through 39, uh, we're going to try and look at having some confidence in our prayer lives, confidence in our prayer lives, and just see uh, what the Scripture has to say to us about that. And so um, we want to do that. And, and uh, this portion of Scripture, uh, there's really no way to, to cover all of this uh, in just one sermon. So I had said on uh, social media earlier today uh, at lunchtime after the service is over, probably just going to get me a little something to eat. I was going to go to Arby's and get a beef and cheddar, but I remember there's some leftover lasagna from last Saturday night. And you may be thinking that's a long time to hold lasagna. Buddy, you can nuke the germs off of anything in the microwave. Can I get an amen from a man in here? That's right. You can nuke it off of there. So I'm going uh, to put that in the microwave and uh, very informal. I'm going to probably just come down to the fellowship hall, maybe around 1230, 1240, and uh, sit at a table and uh, try to uh, just read through the Scripture a little bit and explain and answer questions. If you don't have any plans this afternoon, if you'd like to uh, join me, uh, nothing formal at all. We can just sit and discuss the Word of God. If you have other plans, that's, of course, uh, wonderful as well, too. Uh, Romans chapter number 8, uh, verse 18 through 39. What I'll do is just begin trying to teach, and we'll get as far as I can, and then we'll put a caboose on it and call it an end of the morning. So would you pray with me silently as I pray for us publicly that God would give me the grace to speak His Word truthfully and rightfully, and that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Pray with me, if you would. Our Father, we love You and thank You for Your mercy and kindness and grace. Thank You for a beautiful day to be able to uh, come to our Sunday school time and study the Word of God and fellowship, and and then, Lord, to come into a corporate worship service where we can uh, sing and pray and give and fellowship and study around Your Word. Our Father, we, we are privileged people. We thank You so much for all that You have given us. I pray that in the next few minutes that You would help me to think clearly and concisely, Lord. I pray that uh, you, would, you would open Your Word to us. 
And that we would be more like Jesus when we leave than when we came. I pray that if there's one here that doesn't know Christ Jesus, that they would come to faith in Him today. And I pray for those that are struggling in multiple areas of their lives, that they would find healing and mercy here today. For it's in Your name that we do pray. Amen. For those of you that are keeping notes, uh, I just simply would say, and we'll take it a section at a time, so verse number 18 down through verse number 25 is really one section by itself, verse 18 to verse number 25, and if you wanted to maybe uh, jot down a, a title for that section, I would simply say, future hope, future Hope, all right, verse 18 to verse number 25, and you'll notice that uh, it breaks apart rather simply for you. Verse 18 begins with the word for, verse 19, the word for, uh, verse uh, 20, the word for, verse 22, the word for, and verse number 24, the word for, all right? And whenever you see this word for in the New Testament, uh, probably eight or nine out of ten times, it's giving you a reasoning, an argument. It's telling you this is, this this is why this is the case. And so you can simply see that those verses really outline this first little section for us, verse 18 to verse number 25. And so you follow along, I'll read it and I'll explain it as we go one verse at a time. Verse number 18 reads this way, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I'll just read down to verse 25 and then come back. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Well, that didn't happen willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself, notice these two things, also will be set free from its slavery to corruption and then into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and it suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but this is something else. Also that we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown. See, just like the creation within ourselves, waiting eagerly, just like the creation, for our adoption as sons. And what is that? It is the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but notice that hope that is seen, that's not really hope. For who hopes for what he has already seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Let's walk back through that section if we would together. First of all, verse number 18, just kind of follow along and, and uh, make some notes as you would, but it says, for I consider. The word here to consider means for I realize or I count or I, I meditate. I spend time thinking about this in particular truth. This is what I spend the bulk of my time really working through in my mind. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, notice that the sufferings are ones that are current going on, ones that are in the present day. You see, the Apostle Paul is not so much dealing with the past, and not so much dealing with the future, but he is saying, hey, listen, I consider that the sufferings that are actually going on in my life right now, 
That they are not worthy. They, they don't even really compare with the glory. You see the contrast here. He's saying, I focus on the sufferings in the present time, but they're not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us in the future. You see what he's comparing here is present suffering with future glory. The problems and the pains and the suffering and the heartache and the disappointment and everything that is going on in our lives currently as believers. And the Apostle Paul says, I think about everything that is happening right now in my life, in my church, in my work, with my family, all of the things that put strain and problem in my life. I really think about them, but I think about them in light of the glory of God that one day will be revealed in you and me who believe in Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, brothers and sisters, we could stop right there and spend a whole sermon on simply understanding that we are to see our present sufferings in the right light. We are not meant simply to just get caught in a rut or in a hole and look at our situation, but we are to see our pain. We are to see our suffering. We are to see the things that we are going through, but we are not to remain there. We are to lift our eyes up and look to the future and say, one day God will make all of these things right. One day God will take away all of the suffering. God will take away all of the pain. God will take away all of the sin. One day God will make all things right. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. I want you to consider that. The sufferings of this present time, they do not even compare with what God has in store for those who believe in Him. I just want to pause for a moment. I want the believers in this room to internalize that verse and work through that because I know that that's difficult, but it's Scripture. Sometimes our problems, sometimes our pain is so large in our eyes that we get caught up in the middle of everything that's going on there and we cannot see the forest for the trees. We cannot seem to get out and above, but the Apostle Paul is picking you up and lifting you above the problems of your life and he's saying, dear brother, dear sister, I want you to consider and to think and to count and to meditate on this truth that no matter what you're facing now, one day God will make it all right. And then look at verse number 19. Look at the little playful irony that's going on here. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly. Right? Is, it, is, it, is it the creation that's waiting eagerly or is it the anxious longing of creation that waits eagerly? You see what he's saying here is it's as if the creation and the world that is around you is biting its nails down to the nub. You ever think about that? All of the trees, all of the bushes, and all of the grass, and all of the seas, and all of the oceans, and all of the stars, everything out there is biting its nails down to the nub saying, what is going to happen? Because the world is unsettled. Creation is unsettled. Brothers and sisters, we're just dealing with a massive hurricane out in Texas that's going to drop 40 inches of rain in Houston and destroy the lives of thousands of people, the earth is groaning. And what just happened in Nepal and all of the flooding, what happened here last year, 
still families in our own church are trying to deal with the repercussions and ramifications from all of the flooding and the problems that was caused. Creation is waiting eagerly and anxiously. And look what it says. For the anxious longing of the creation. What is creation doing? It is waiting eagerly. And what is it waiting eagerly? Look in here at the repeated word. For the revealing. Did you notice that in verse number 18? The, the end of verse number 18, it says it's not to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. And so what is it in verse number 19 that the creation is waiting for? It is waiting for the glory of God to be revealed in the sons and the daughters of God Himself. Simply put, or I shouldn't say that because I think the Apostle Paul simply put it, but maybe just to reword it, I want you to know that every tree and every bush and every ocean is longingly and anxiously waiting for you and for me to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And one day, when we are put back into the way that it was in the Garden of Eden, and far beyond that, when Christ lives in us to the fully flourishing world around us, creation will be everything that it was intended to be. And until the day that God's people are fully conformed to the image of Christ, the earth will still be groaning and waiting eagerly for it. Look at verse number 20. It tells you some more about creation. For the creation was subjected or put under the, to futility. It, it simply, and then it says here, it tells you about creation. For the creation was subjected to futility, but not because it did anything wrong, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it. So what's going on in verse number 20? He's saying here that when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, it was not the creation that sinned, but it was humanity that sinned. God created a perfect world and a perfect life and everything was right and good and holy until we screwed it up. And creation was subjected to this futility just like us, but not willingly. But look at what it says. God is working even in the fall. But because of Him who subjected it, and notice this, God subjected the creation to futility because of our sin, but He did so in hope. Now, can I just ask you to pause for a second and think about this? Have you ever thought for a moment that God hopes? God hopes that some things will happen. Just like you do. Now you say, Steve, why would you make me think about God hoping? Because I want you to have a correct understanding of biblical hope. You see, when I said that, that kind of scared you a little bit because the way you think about hope is, man, I wish and I'm going to wring my hands. And, man, if the lottery works out just right, it'll happen. I hope that that works out. That's not what biblical hope is. Biblical hope is a well-founded, well-grounded expectation of the future. A biblical hope is saying, I know that that's going to happen in the future, therefore I just wait for it to come. I'm longingly and expectingly looking for that to happen. God hopes, and so should you. Look what it says. God subjected the creation to this futility in hope. Notice that the creation itself also, that is alongside, will be set free from its slavery to corruption. But not only from the negative standpoint for creation being set free from the slavery of corruption, but into the positive, into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
Let me pause for just a moment and say this. The well-being of creation hinges on the perfecting of God's people. And only Christ can make that happen. Now listen, I might be the only preacher that you ever have in your life that tells you this, so you better listen up and you can either cast me out as being kind of wonky or you can read your Bible and find out. Heaven is a wonderful place, amen? You're not going to live there for long. If you think you're going to spend eternity in heaven, you're wrong. God created this planet good and God will restore this planet to perfection. That's what that's talking about. It's not some sort of ethereal world. God is saying the creation that is fallen and bruised and marred, He will restore it and set it right. And you know how He's going to do that? Through the perfecting and the total conformity of His people to the image of God. Brothers and sisters, if you think that someday you're going to be naked babies sitting on a cloud somewhere, plunking a harp out somewhere in outer space, you've got it all wrong. Did you know, had there never been a fall in the Garden of Eden, there would still be maturity there would still be massive buildings, there would still be architecture, there would still be creativity. God will, listen, anything in this world that you see that has some refraction of glory and goodness will one day be turned into everything that God intends it to be. So every time you go to an art museum and you see a beautiful piece of art, I'm telling you that 10,000 times beyond that, God will restore His people. Every time you look at some sort of architecture in the world and you say, look at that building, look at what it must have taken to bring all of that together. Look at the vision in somebody's mind to bring all of that together and make that happen. One day, well, God will do that in 10,000 times more. I say, listen, I know that we're not a bunch of tree-hugging liberals. I don't know, maybe you are. But I do want to say this. If you're the kind of person that just throws your wrappers on the ground and says, oh, it's all going to burn up and someday yonder I'll be out in heaven, you, you fail to understand what God wants. God is restoring you so that you will be able to restore creation. Isn't that what it says in the book of Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2? That God created Adam and Eve and put them in the garden to work it and to till it. Those are words that have to do for the tabernacle and worship. It is those words of dominion. God says, I give you dominion over the creation. Not to abuse it, not to hurt it, not to use it and lose it, but to manufacture and to do right and to govern the entire creation for God. You like Raleigh? If you're the kind of person that likes Raleigh and you're a believer, then you ought to be in part of these kind of things. Bringing people to faith in Jesus Christ and doing good in your neighborhood and community and restoring the image of God in the hearts of believers and in the heart of creation. All right, that went over like a lead balloon, so let me just get verse number 22. For we know that the whole creation... If you come up with a different doctrine, you, you help me see it. But for we know that the whole creation groans, right? It, it groans and it suffers. What does it suffer? It suffers the pains of childbirth together. Who is the together with? You and me. 
until now. And not only this, but you see the correlation between creation and us, but also we ourselves. And notice this, we have what creation doesn't. We have the first fruits of the Spirit of God in us. You say, what does that simply mean? That simply means that our body has not been restored to perfection yet, but our soul is being restored daily by the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? Isn't that what the Apostle Paul says? He says the outer man is decaying and dying daily, but the inner man is being renewed and living and growing daily. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons the full redemption of our bodies. You see, spiritually, we've been adopted into the family of God. And one day, He will complete that adoption by the perfecting of our bodies. Now look at verse number 24. You say, man, that looks like a grand, glorious thought in the future. It is. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? Watch. But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. He says, Steve, I turn on the news and I see things that are going on in the world like in Charlottesville and all of the, all of the pain and anger and frustration and the sinfulness of human beings. I turn on the news and I see what's going on in Houston. I see these storms and I see these massive wildfires and I see these countries and nations that are building up. It looks like wars are going to break out. How in the world could creation be restored? I would simply tell you that hope is, that is seen is not hope at all. But I have a well-founded and a well-grounded expectation that one day God will make all of the world right and creation will be under our dominion as we are conformed to the image of God. Now let me ask you this. Are you living with that hope? Let me tell you just maybe three points of application and then we'll move to the next section if we have time. You say, Steve, how in the world could there be an application for me in that? I would simply say in verse 18 to 25 this week, I've just kind of mulled through my mind. I would say, number one, it eclipses, right? It eclipses our present suffering. The future hope of God in us eclipses, right? No pun from this week intended. Our present suffering. Brothers and sisters, whatever's going on in your life, you need to look up today. You need to take a deep breath and you need to understand that no matter how much pain and no matter what's going on in your life, God will one day make everything right. That is not just some sort of pie-in-the-sky kind of idea. That is a real living hope. And what I'm telling you is, God is not just going to snatch you from this planet and you live on Jupiter or Mars somewhere in the future or some outer space place. There will be a day if you pass where you go to be with God in heaven, but there will come a day where God comes back to this world. Christ Jesus comes back and rules and reigns and the place that He created to be perfect, He makes no mistakes. God is not going to take the earth and wad it up and throw it away. This is your home. Get used to it. 
And God will make this place perfect again. And just as God walked in the cool of the day, so Genesis says with Adam and Eve, there will come a day where Christ Jesus might just walk with you down the streets of Raleigh, North Carolina in His power and His grace and in His presence. Amen? So I would simply say, carry the message of the life-changing power of the Gospel to change hearts into your neighborhood, into your workplace, into your friends. Hey, and if you're sitting here today and you're struggling with what I've been saying about creation, that's okay. That's probably a good thing. If you always come to church and all you ever do is shake your head and say amen, you're probably not being challenged much. But I just want you to think about this. Part of the reason why you are brushing up and bristling against God perfecting this creation is because you doubt the power of the gospel. And if you don't think that Jesus can make this world right again, look in your own dirty, sinful heart and see what He did long ago when you were walking on your way to hell in your own way, on your own time, and Jesus came down and showed you the cross and showed you the resurrection, opened up your heart, took out the stone and put in the soft heart and redeemed you. And now look at what's different inside of you and you hold on to that hope. That is the first fruit of the Spirit in you. And if God can change the human heart, God can for sure change all of creation. Hallelujah and glory to God. I walk out of here today held high in the confidence in my prayer life that God will restore all things to the way that He wants it. That's the kind of God that I serve. That's the kind of Christ that has saved me. That's the kind of Christ that has saved you. Set your feet on the solid rock. Give me a couple, of, a couple of minutes here. Look with me if you would. Verse number 26 through 30, I believe, would be the next section. 30, 26 through 30. Oh, now we're going to have to put our thinking caps on. You've got you to gotta take notes. Think with me, all right? Look at verse number 26. It took, me, it took me four days to understand what's going on in this text. In the same way... In the same way as what? Alright, look. In the same way the Spirit, that is the Spirit of God, He helps our weakness or our infirmity. And why does He help us? For we don't have any idea. We don't know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit Himself, He intercedes. He prays for us. And how does He do it? Ah, oh, look at the repeating word. With groanings. You see here now we've got an attachment to the previous section. With groanings too deep for words. And He, that is God the Father, and He who searches the hearts, He knows what the mind of the Spirit is. And why does He know that? Because He intercedes, that is the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the very will of God. Now back up if you would to verse number 26. and. Uh, this whole week I was kind of thinking about in the same way. Some of your translations might say likewise. Do you have that there? Right? Likewise, a transitional statement to verse number 20. What in the world does verse 26 and 27 have to do with the whole idea of what we just read before about God making all of creation perfect? In the same way, notice here, the Spirit helps our weakness. Hmm. I want you to back up for a second to verse number 22 again. For we know that the whole creation groans, remember that word, we're going to come back to it, and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but watch, but also we ourselves, we groan, we are in this pain. But notice the parenthesis, 
having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption of sons. For in hope we have been saved. Brothers and sisters, what is the connection? The connection is this, that when we look at all the world around us and all of the creation and we say, how in the world is God going to restore all of that? We remember the parenthesis that we've been given the Spirit of God as the first fruits of salvation. When the world looks dark and your suffering seems most real, it is the Spirit of God that gives you a calm assurance in your heart. Now look at verse number 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. When the world seems dark and creation seems fallen, it is the Spirit of God alive in our hearts that gives us the confidence of the future. Brothers and sisters, when I do not know how to pray... when I don't know how to ask for the things that I should, when my prayer life seems upside down, who comes to the rescue? The Spirit of the living God. In the same way, the Spirit helps our weakness in our prayer life. In the same way that the world seems dark and creation seems distorted, but we know that God will redeem because the Spirit is our calm assurance of salvation, so the Spirit of God, when we want to pray but we don't know how to pray, when we want to pray but we don't know what we should pray for, when things seem upside down and you feel like your prayers are hitting the ceiling and that nobody is hearing and nobody cares and you don't know what to do, the Spirit of God is praying on your behalf. Amen? You walk out of here with a calm assurance that God will restore all of the world and that God, through the Spirit, is praying for you in your darkest hour. And look what it says. For we know, we, it says verse, if we do not know how we should pray, but the Spirit is interceding. And how is He doing it? With groanings. Too deep for words. And then look at the, look at the Father. And he who searches the hearts, he knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he or the Spirit intercedes for the saints. Look at verse number 28. You're going to notice a contrast here between 28 and 26. And we know that God causes, I'll just read down to 30, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Who To who? To those who love God. To who? To those who are called according to His purpose. Verse 29, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. And why did He do that? So that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom He predestined, He also called. And these whom He called, He also justified. And these whom He also justified, He also glorified. Now I want you to go back to the beginning of verse number 28 and notice the contrast between 28 and 26. And this should turn your world upside down. What is it that you think that you ought to know? If anything in the world, I think I ought to know how to pray. Who knows me better than me? I'm the one that knows my own predicament. I know what I need. I know what I want. I should know how to pray. But what does verse 26 say? You don't know how to pray. So God will help you. 
Verse 28 comes along. What is it that I should know nothing about? The eternal majesty and character and glory and wonderful provision of God. I don't know Him, but what does the Bible tell me? I don't know how to pray, but I know God. Not because of who I am, but because of what the Bible teaches me about Him. Do you see the power in that in your prayer life? Don't be so dependent in your prayer life on your capability and what you can say and how you can articulate. And if you pray long enough and if you do this and if you say all the right things in just the right way and you have enough faith that somehow God's going to answer you. No, the Bible says that sometimes you don't even know how you should pray, but the Spirit of the living God is praying for you. What do you walk out of here knowing today? What should you, where should your confidence be today? Not in your prayer life, but in the eternal power and majesty of the God of heaven. Amen? So look with me. I'll take a couple of minutes on these verses. So this is what we know. We know that God causes. That is that God is at work in everything to work together for good. Now, brothers and sisters, listen with me. You gotta think with me. I know a little bit different today. Not a lot of illustrations, not a lot of stories, but you gotta get this through your mind today because this will help you in your prayer life. This will give you confidence and power to pray and to see God do things with your, with your family and with your friends and with your church and in your own soul. This is what we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Let me finish out the verse so that we can keep going. For who? To those who love God. To those who are called according to His purpose. Hey, if you're in this room today and you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you've come to that by way of Jesus Christ, you can be assured that all things that are going on in your life, God will use them and work them to His glory and your good. Now pause with me for a moment and think about what that means in light of the past verses. All of the above must work for good. So that means that in verse number 18 when he says, I consider the sufferings of this present time, that means that, it, beloved, listen to me today, that means that if you're in this room today and you love God through faith in Christ Jesus and you've been called according to His purpose, that means that all of the sufferings of the present time God will cause to work together for good. That means that in the rest of the verses, verse 19 through verse number 25, the distorted creation, the groaning of all of the world, the fallenness, the darkness of this world, that means that God will move into the darkness of this world and cause all of that to resound to His glory and work to the good of His people and the spread of His gospel. That means that in verse number 26 and verse number 27, even the uncertainties of your failing prayer life, God will cause to work together for His glory and your good. Well, let me finish this up quickly. Yeah. Uh, look here if you would. The rest of uh, 28. Now look, 
Verse number 29. Many will refer to verse 29 and verse number 30 as, oh, it's called in the Latin, the order salutis or uh, the order of salvation. And uh, so we're just going to walk down through this just a little bit and then I'll, uh, this afternoon, I'll talk a little bit about it. Look what it says here. For those whom he foreknew. Now, who is it that he foreknows? Those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom He foreknew. Now, you have to be careful with this word. You say, this is the foreknowledge of God. It means to know beforehand. And now all of my uh, brothers and sisters in here, they say, are you Calvinist or Arminian? Uh, listen, both sides, nobody disagrees that foreknowledge means to know beforehand. The issue, for those of you that are taking notes, the issue is not God's knowing something before. The issue is where you ground that ability. Do you ground it in God's love over a particular group of people or do you ground it in the attribute of God's omniscience that God already knows all things? And so if you lean in here more of a reformed perspective, you're going to understand, then rightfully so, that there are a number of Scriptures in the New Testament that speak about that God knows the person, right? It doesn't say here that God knows what they would say, what they would choose, what they would do, but it says that God knew them. Those people whom He foreknew. If you're on the other side and you ground this in God's omniscience, God's all-knowing, you're going to go over to Romans chapter number 11 and see that God foreknew the entire children of Israel. But He called out a remnant out of that group. And so you would have to say, hey, now be careful that you don't just simply say that that word means whom He loved. Because otherwise you would be saying from Romans 11 that there was a group of people whom God foreordained or foreloved that did not make it into heaven. Foreknowledge. What you need to remember when you're discussing and working through this passage is that this is not the entire order of salvation. This is the order of salvation from the perspective of God down to us. Amen? Isn't that what it says? For those whom he foreknew, now look at that, look at the connection. He also predestined or predetermined. But notice here, what is the predetermining work of God? That we would become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Maybe I'll just pause the sermon here today and say this to you. If you're in here today and you argue or you want to fuss and fight about uh, whether it's this or whether it's that, just remember this, that whom God called and whom God foreknew and whom God predestined, He did all of that not so that you could argue, but so that you'd be conformed to the image of His dear Son. And so if you find that you're the kind of person that's holding on to some particular strata of doctrine and you want to fuss and fight, but your life looks like a terrible sinner and you've got all kinds of problems in your life and you don't look like Jesus, I I would say this, God's predeterminative work in your life is not so that you can argue. God's predetermined work in your life is to make you look like Jesus. So whether you're a Calvinist or an Arminian, the end goal here is that your life looks like Jesus. Amen? And maybe that might be a good place for us to close for right now. Does your life... Hey, hear me. Does your life... Look like Jesus. Here's something that would help me this week. Does your prayer life look like the prayer life of Jesus? 
I was convicted in my own heart. God is going to... We stand on the side of God. He's going to restore all creation and make everything right. And when I pray and I don't know what to say, the Spirit is helping me. And so for heaven's sake, for creation's sake, if God is going to do all of that through us, why do I go so long between times of prayer? If God is going to use you to restore the world, and if God prays for you and you don't know how to pray, why do you go so long between times of prayer? Why is it that it's like pulling teeth for you to come to a prayer meeting on a Wednesday night? Why is it that in your own life you find yourself that you'll read every book and do every study and talk to everybody and be on everybody's social media page, but you won't spend one hour in prayer? when God has given you all of this as confidence. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. We're going to play a little music and sing together in a moment. Maybe convicted in my own heart just right now, thinking out loud with you. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that. I want you to respond. I want to respond. Hey, I need it as much as you do. I want to respond with you. In my prayer life, I talk about prayer. I read books on prayer. But do I pray? Do you pray? You have all the confidence in the world that God is behind you and the Spirit is in you. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.